So we're so glad you're here. We're in a series called Naked Spirituality. Uh, it's tied to a book a friend of ours, Brian McLaren, wrote uh, about 10 years ago. And so if you're following along, what you've probably noticed is that there are some continuity and connection, but we're also going off in all sorts of other directions. And the, the book is built around seasons of the spiritual life. And we began with the season of simplicity, which is the season of spring where things are exciting and new and there's new growth happening and it's just, ah, it's wonderful. And then we looked at the season of complexity is where we are now, which is the season of summer. And in the season of simplicity, everything's pretty cut and dry, pretty black and white, pretty us and them. And in the season of complexity, we begin to move beyond those dualisms. And we begin to learn that there are actually, life is lived in the gray, not in, not in the, the starkness. And that, that maybe that's why for so many of us, we have been trying maybe to be a part of a church or, or, or engage in religion. And it feels like a, a suit that doesn't fit just right is because we have, they've tried to keep us in these really strong, stark categories of right, wrong, black, white, this is how it all works. And what we're finding is that life is lived in the gray and that faith and spirituality are actually experiences of that gray space, that space in between. And so in, in this season of complexity, we've looked at the words uh, sorry, which um, we continually say sorry seems to be the hardest word. By the way, did anybody see Elton John last Sunday night? Oh, yeah. Ooh, talk about going to church. Like Sir Elton took Nashville to church. And there was a moment, it, it, he was like, I'm sorry, I've had, I had COVID three, like, until three days ago. I apologize for my voice. I'm like, Sir Elton, you never apologize for your voice. You sound better than like everybody else post-COVID. Three days post-COVID, I was still laying on a couch, not performing in front of like 70,000 people. So uh, we talked about sorry and we talked about Help. Uh, if sorry is the hardest word, help may be the second hardest word. And today we're going to look at the word please. And I think for many of us, probably our relationship with the word please has been one of politeness, right? When do you use the word please most? It's when you're asking for something. You're asking, somebody's taking your order. We do this with our kids all the time where somebody will come to the table and they'll say, what would you like to drink? And if one of our kids says, I'll have Sprite, like, no, 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 no. I'll have Sprite, please, or I'll please have a Sprite. We don't just demand things. We say, please, right? Because please is polite and it's what you do. And it's, it's a way of, of giving the person an opportunity to say, I guess, no, like, no, you're not getting that. Um, but it's just decorum. It's just politeness. Uh, we're not going to focus on that particular use of the word please today, uh, because I think we all get it's important to be polite. We're going to focus on please as uh, being about, so if, if we're in the season of simplicity, we're generally focused more on ourselves. And there's an important part of that, right? When, when kids are forming and growing up, they're kind of self-centered. Have you noticed this? It's all about them. Like, like four-year-olds do not care about your life. They don't care what you have going on. They don't care how busy you are. They just want mac and cheese. And they want it when they want it. Right, and, and so there's a certain stage where we're learning and we're like our needs and our wants and what is happening around us, we are the most important thing. And there are moments in life where that's still valid to take care and prioritize your own self, right? But what happens in please is we begin to expand and open up and we begin to expand into an others-oriented consciousness, which means we begin to understand that at the center of everything isn't just us and what we need and what we want but that we are a part of this larger fabric of creation, this larger relationship, this larger community of human beings, and that other people around us, what they need matters too. And their lives 
are, are significant too. And it's not just about us and what we need, but it's about also figuring out how do we help make sure that everybody else has what they need too. Because ultimately, humans aren't gonna be in good shape until everybody has enough. Are you with me? If you wanna trace the problems facing our species on this planet, they are geared around this, this scarcity model, and they're geared around some people having a lot and some people not having anything. And you can never truly be at peace when you're wondering where your next meal is coming from. How many of you remember when the pandemic started and suddenly the most high value commodity on the market was toilet paper? Was anybody else going, what in the world is happening? Like, are you, this is a respiratory disease. <laughs> are you tracking? Like, I don't, get some puffs. I don't know, but like, I don't know why now we're like fighting over toilet paper at Kroger. I just couldn't fathom it. But what that revealed was that there's this thing in us as human beings, this thing that I think at one point was probably really helpful and why our species survived when other, you know, human-like species didn't survive, that now becomes a great threat to our survival. Because if the moment, when, when, when everything, all the chips are down, all we can do is grab for everything that we can get, then we are never going to be a world of peace. We are never going to be a world of justice. And, and ultimately, we will never be a world where everybody can live in harmony and connection with each other. Um, I keep going back to the refrain that often gets chanted at, at protests, no justice, no peace, right? Not a threat, an acknowledgement that until there is justice in the world, the world can never truly be at peace and at rest. And, and so please, is about helping to focus our vision and to begin to see all, it's like we've had blinders on, and it's taking them off and we begin to see all the other people around us who have needs and desires and hopes and dreams, who have actual human lives that matter in the world. I think that the times I most feel connected to the divine, whatever that means to you, the times I feel most connected to transcendence are moments when I realize that the people around me are a lot like me and they have hopes and needs and wants and fears and anxieties and that all of those things matter just as much as mine do. Now in the book, Brian ties this idea of please to an idea called intercession. How many of you have heard about intercession before? Um, how many of you are thinking it's the thing that happens in the middle of a play when they let you out to go to the bathroom and get a Coke or something? No, we're not talking about that. Intercession literally means going between, and it's often tied to the idea of prayer. So there are different kinds of prayer. One of the kinds of prayer is intercessory prayer, which sounds really kind of like, a, like almost exorcist level, but actually it just means that you're praying for somebody else's benefit, that you're asking for things on somebody else's behalf. And so today I wanna to focus please around a few, a few other words. And one of those words is gonna be prayer. And I wanna begin by saying, I have, and I bet many of you do, I have a complex relationship with prayer. Anybody else? Anybody just feel like sometimes when you try to pray and you, you, you make like, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna pray. And you, you start praying and then you're going like, what am I even doing right now? Like, what, what am I even doing right now? Does this work? Anybody ever ask that question about, does prayer even work? And if it does work, 
How? How, how, does, how? What is our relationship to this? Is this a thing we do that gets us the stuff that we want? Is this like presenting our wish list? This week at our house in October, the first week of October, the, uh, one of the Christmas wish catalogs arrived. Yes. Yeah, big times, big times. You have to get the ink pen out and people got to put marks by it, circle it, star it, write their names by it. I remember as a kid getting the, the Sears catalog. Oh, there was nothing. Of course, it came out way later because Christmas and Halloween weren't fighting each other at Target. Um, we spaced things out a bit more. But getting that Sears wish book and going through it and seeing all the things. And when I, when I tell you my kids, want, like the entire book is circled, the entire book is circled, which gives us lots of options, but creates unreasonable expectations. All right, but I mean, for some of us, I think that's how I was raised to think about prayer almost. It's like, I'm taking my wish list to the divine. I'm asking God to do some stuff for me. And then if I hold up my end, if I live a really good life, if I live a clean life, if I don't cuss or do any of that sort of stuff, then God is gonna do exactly what I ask. And for many of us, that worked until a point. And at that point, it not only stopped working, it catastrophically failed us because we were asking and doing and trying to be all the things and it just didn't pan out the way we hoped it would. That the things we prayed for and, and not prayed for like, you know, sneakily or we weren't trying, we were being genuine. It just didn't work out like we thought. So I know if, if you hear me say the word prayer today and you're like, nope, out, I get it. I get it. I have a complex relationship with prayer. And I often wonder, how can prayer even work? Is there a way to engage prayer that isn't really just sort of seeing it as a way to manipulate God? If it, you know, seeing it as a way to, to not just get God to give us the things we want because we are better than the people who are praying for the opposite. You ever want, I always wondered about that. Like when you were praying for something, like when you were praying, like when you're in high school maybe and you're praying like, I, I really want this person to go out with me and somebody else is praying to go out with them, how do you, how does God decide that? Like, does God just pick somebody, or there, is there criteria? Prayer's complicated, y'all. And I, I have arrived at a place for me where I, I personally, and this is fine if you can, but I no longer see prayer as sort of getting God's attention and getting God to intervene in our circumstances. Because I think if we want to start assigning those things to God, then God also has to bear the, the, if God gets all the credit for the good, God then also has to bear all the weight for the bad. And if God gets all the credit for the interventions, then I think we have to ask questions about the far more numerous times in the world where nothing happens the way it needs to happen. I just don't find that idea of prayer for me convincing anymore. But I'll tell you what I still do. I still pray for the people I care about. I still pray for people. I still pray for their good. I pray for their flourishing. I pray for their peace, pray for their healing. I do all those things. One of my favorite scholars, Marcus Borg, uh, has, had written a great chapter on prayer, just sort of deconstructing and demolishing our old ideas of prayer. And at the end of it, he's like, yeah, I still do it. I still do it. And then he has this beautiful way of framing it. I still do it because it's what love asks of me. Love asks me to care about the people around me and to remember them. And maybe when I remember them in prayer, that maybe what that doesn't do is get God's attention to come bippity-boppity-boo the situation. But what it does is maybe it raises it to my awareness. And then maybe I'll do something about it. I think prayer, 
specifically this kind of please prayer, has the capacity to create in us an awareness that didn't exist before. Anybody else just kind of go through life all the time without actually thinking about what you're doing? How many of you have ever gotten to work and no idea how you got there? (laughs) What were you doing this whole time? You were just out on the road, driving, drinking your coffee, listening to your music or podcast, and suddenly you pull into the office and you're like, I have no idea how I got from my house to here. It was 25 minutes. How did I get here? Right. But even beyond that, we just kind of, I don't I, I do this. I, I get in a routine, right? I have certain things I do every morning for the people in my life, and I get up and I do those things, and I don't even think about it. And life can take on that sort of tenor where we're just so busy and we're so, in the, our, our time is so, so demanded and called for that we just kind of live and we get in these patterns and routines that we don't actually think about what we're doing. And we don't think about the people around us. And we don't thoughtfully engage with what they're going through. And prayer is a way of saying, who are the people around me um, that I I care about? Or who are the people around me who are suffering? I think about the people in Florida who experienced Hurricane Ian. Um, Who are those people in the world who are suffering? And then if we begin to focus on them, uh, maybe it'll raise them to our awareness and it will invite us to do something. So I'll put it this way. I don't think prayer leads to God's intervention into the world, but I think prayer can lead to our intervention into the suffering and pain of the world. And I think that's how it's supposed to work. I, I think while we are waiting for something and some answer from the sky, the sky is inviting us who have our feet planted on earth to open our eyes and open our hearts and to actually begin to engage with the problems and the pain and the suffering around us. So much of Christian theology, even to this day, and I see it all over social media and the internet, is waiting for somebody to rescue us from the problems we've created in the world. Well, the environment's in trouble. God, come get it. Or, hey, God, we have terrible inequality in the world and people are starving to death. Would you... Would you Because what that would do is if God would just feed people, that would alleviate us from the responsibility to ask, why is it that some of us have so much and some people don't? And for those of us who have so much, what responsibility does that place on us? So I think prayer is about opening ourselves up to an awareness that there are people around us, people who are as close as the people who maybe we live in the same house with or people who are across the world that we'll never meet in person who have real significant needs. And if we would engage, if we would become aware, maybe just maybe something could be done about some of that. Are you with me? And so I think prayer then invites us into what I think please also leads to, which is the practice of compassion. If prayer can help open us up to see other people, Right? If, if in prayer I can see you, I know what you're going through, and I'm praying for you, and I'm caring about you, if prayer opens me up to that, then maybe prayer can also, maybe compassion will open me up to feel, or, or at least to try to empathize, to try to, to try to feel and then understand what you're feeling. The, the word compassion gets thrown out a lot today, and really it's become one of those words that's just kind of full of sentiment, right? Like compassion is just sort of, I had a sentimental, it's almost tied to love, right? When we think about love generally, we think about, oh, I have kind of a sentimental feeling about that person. Oh, compassion, I feel a thing. That, that commercial came on and they were playing Sarah McLaughlin in the background. 
and I felt a thing, and then I still went and ate the burrito I was going to eat anyway and just lived my life, right? <laughs> like, is that what compassion ultimately is, is feeling a way or feeling a little guilty or feeling a little like I should do something, but then 10 minutes later, you forgot it even happened. I don't think that's what compassion is. I think compassion is about removing the distance between us. Compassion is about closing the gap between me and other human beings. Because me and other human beings really aren't that different. Even the people I see in the world who are doing things that I think are just awful, nine times out of 10, they're doing them from a place of fear, scarcity, and the gap between us is not as far as I think it is. And compassion invites me into that space. One of the best things Jesus said also is in the Gospel of Luke, where he says in Luke 6.36, be compassionate just as God is compassionate. Think about all the ways that could have gone differently. Be perfect because God is perfect. By the way, perfect is not a Hebrew idea, it's a Greek idea. Jesus would never have come up with perfect. What if he just said, be right as God is right? Be distant, judgmental, and temperamental because as God is distant, judgmental, and temperamental. But Jesus doesn't. He says, be compassionate. And what's beautiful about the word compassion, it, it can take on a couple of different ideas. One is the idea, uh, in, especially in Hebrew, it's this idea of, of being womb-like. To be compassionate is to be womb-like, which is this idea that, that when God is compassionate, God is like the womb in which we live, which nourishes us and cares for us and gives us life. Be compassionate. Be, a, be, be this safe place that is willing to hold people and nurture and nourish them. Be compassionate because God is compassionate. If I hadn't had that lens for God at a much younger age, I would have been a different person at a much younger age. Because even though the text doesn't say this, the way we interpreted God, it was be right as God is right. And make sure everybody knows that you're right as God is right. And that if they don't share your rightness, they are just wrong. When Jesus is inviting us to something else, Frederick Buechner, a brilliant author who just passed away, said, compassion is sometimes the fatal capacity for feeling what it is like to live inside somebody else's skin. It is the knowledge that there can never really be any peace and joy for me until there's finally peace and joy for you too. I think it's interesting. He calls compassion the sometimes fatal capacity. Because here's the truth. When we choose to have our eyes opened and an awareness for what's going on in the world around us, and it begins to move us and maybe break our hearts, maybe open our hearts, maybe transform our hearts, it will put us in situations that are just a little bit difficult. Anybody in here ever been in a situation where your compassion got you in trouble? Just wait. Keep doing it. Compassion creates complexities. Creation? Compassion creates difficulty because when you suddenly realize that there are people all around us and there's something you can do for maybe at least one of them, it is going to mess up your schedule. It is probably going to cost you some money at some point. It, is, it may even ruin a little bit of your reputation, but you're already here, so that's really not a thing that you're worried about too awful much. When you begin to see the world through the lens of compassion, suddenly the them that you've been told to fear and keep at a distance 
suddenly you begin to see them differently. And there's a part of you maybe that longs to be able to help them. Because really, the us and them, and that space between us, really isn't so different. Now, look, I'm not saying, there, there are some times that boundaries are, need to be set in place. And there are some people, hear me, there are some people you, you personally, I personally cannot help. Right? There are some people that the, the relationship you've had with them, their presence in your life is so toxic that the only way you can truly show compassion or have compassion is to go way over here, put a boundary in place, change your phone number, and tell them, don't call me and I won't call you. Right? That's not unchristian. That's actually a really healthy human thing to do sometimes. It's one of the things I'll tell people is like, yes, that person needs help, but you're not the person who needs to help them. Like there are other people in the world who have compassion, who can be sent to that person to help that situation, but it can't be you because it's been too toxic and too dangerous and too harmful. But that doesn't mean that there aren't moments when having a heart full of compassion won't get you into trouble. We see it time and time again in the Gospels with Jesus. Half the stuff he does gets him in trouble, and it comes from a place not of probably even being like, I'm just going to go start trouble today, but from a place of there are people with needs. I have a capacity. I want to meet them in compassion. Because for Jesus, that's how God is. That's who God is. And then if prayer creates awareness and leads us to an experience of compassion, then the the goal of compassion is ultimately action. The goal of compassion is not to just go, wow, I feel for them. Wow, that must really be tough. Wow, that stinks. Hate to be them. Was it the Martin Luther quote there, but for the grace of God go I? Which is just kind of a jerk thing to say. right? Like God's grace was more for me than it is for you. Ultimately should lead to action. Prayer is not ultimately just about, and please is not just about being a certain way, it's also about doing a certain way. It's about showing up embodied in the world in a specific way. Um, you, you all know I love the Bible, and I noticed something that started popping up when I was reading, and you, you probably heard me say this, the Gospel of Mark is my favorite gospel. I love it so much. It's where I spend most of my time nerding out when I'm nerding out in the Gospels. Um, and I started noticing this theme that uh, was popping up in the Gospel of Mark. Let me read you a few passages. Notice Mark chapter 2. A few days, after a few days, Jesus went back to Capernaum, and people heard he was home. So many people gathered that there was no longer space, not, not even near the door. Jesus was speaking the word to them. Some people, By the way, he's speaking the word, and he doesn't even have a Bible. Isn't that interesting? Just file that away. <laughs> when people try to tell you that the Bible's the word of God, and you're like, I don't think so. And, um, some people are, so the, the house is packed. There's a crowd. Jesus is preaching the good word. And then some people arrived, and four of them were bringing to him a man who was paralyzed. They couldn't carry him through the crowd, so they tore off part of the roof above where Jesus was. When they had made an opening, they lowered the mat on which the paralyzed man was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, specifically says this, when Jesus saw their faith, he does a thing. Now, isn't that an interesting story? Because I was raised that it really doesn't matter what your friend's faith is like. It's all about your faith. And it's about you having the right beliefs. It doesn't matter what your friends believe. But here in Mark, like this person is having an experience of transformation, not because of what he believed or did, but because of what other people believed for him and about him. And I just love this. I love the imagination that let's say Jesus is at Simon Peter's house and Peter's in there and the roof starts getting ripped off. 
And he's like, I don't even have good homeowner's insurance. What are we going to do? It's always polite to ask, please, before you tear off someone's roof. But these friends are so bold, they can't get through the crowd, so they make an opening and they lower their friend down. Some people cared about a person and carried them. Notice in Mark 7, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly speak, and they begged him to place his hand on the man for healing. Again, some people. We don't get a number, just some people. There were people who were around this person who cared about him, and they wanted to make sure he had an encounter with Jesus. Mark 8, Jesus' disciples came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man to Jesus and begged him to touch and heal him. There's this interesting pattern that starts showing up where a lot of the really interesting things that happen with Jesus, it's instigated because some other people saw a need and began to take action. And when they took action, it created an opportunity. Somebody does something. Somebody sees a need. They have a feeling. They're aware. They have this feeling of compassion, and it calls them to get off the sidelines and into, the, in, into reality, and they bring these people to Jesus, and they're like, okay, now what? Now what? Someone takes action, and it leads to transformation. When I was in grad school, one of the very first classes I took was a class called Theory of Religion. Now, I know it doesn't sound boring, it was so not boring. It was so interesting. And there are really, like, we go into class the first day, and the teacher's like, what is God even and religion? I was like, that's, they didn't ask me that question in seminary at all. This is a really interesting question. There are really, really important moments to talk about that, the theory of something. Like, let's talk about what it might be or what it might mean. Really important times to do that. I love those conversations. I think the problem is when all of our experience becomes theory and none of it becomes practice. When, when we gather in communities like this and all of our time is spent going, I just wonder if, or I wonder what, and that wonder never leads to like, okay, let's actually go seek to embody. Now, I'm really glad that there are religious people in the world who aren't embodying their theology because it's terrible. <laughs> it's good for the world that they're talking about theories. But I think we have a vision for what this faith could mean and be and what it could do in the world, what it could do in the world in ways that in, in our own country, in this particular era, we are seeing lots of Christians behave badly and anti-Christly in the public square. But do we have an alternative? Do we have a way of seeing an awareness that has led to compassion that then invites us into the world to act in certain kinds of ways? I think we do. And so I, I think for us, the caution is, in, in our please asking is to not let it become theory, to, to not let all of our theological engagement, all of our church experience, all of the, to not let it just become a thing we do in an isolated place where we talk about things that have no practical value if you leave this place and go into a world where people are hungry and hurting and alone and marginalized and excluded and are being forgotten. Because I think whatever whatever the gospel is, like this good news, if it's actually good news, it has to be good news in its implementation, not just its discussion. Pope Francis famously said, um, this is how prayer works. You pray for a hungry person and you feed them. Yeah. Right? Because prayer, please, isn't just, isn't at all, I think, about saying, God, intervene in that. You know, it's, it's not like God is, it's almost like we're, we have God as sort of our, our heavy, right? Like, God, go do all the dirty work. 
go beat up our enemies and help our friends and we'll sit back over here and we'll give you all the credit. No, no, no. What if the whole time God has been, the idea has been God saying, look, there's a lot to do in the world. That's why you're here. You have awareness, beautiful. That's stirring in you a sense of compassion, amazing. Now go do something about it in the world. And that looks really differently depending on the context. There are, there are things that we do and can do and will do and should do as an entire community. But there are also all the little ways every day of our lives we are invited to show up in the world in a good news kind of way, in, in a compassionate kind of way, in an action-taking kind of way. Whether it's to stand alongside somebody who's being bullied on the internet, whether it's to help somebody who's feeling lonely and isolated, whatever that looks like, maybe it's to offer food, whatever that is. It's about showing up in our own contexts in really practical, beautiful, and healing ways because that is ultimately how the world will be transformed. The more we stand back and say, wouldn't it be great if the world was different? The world won't, actually the world will become different. It's gonna go farther in the wrong direction. But what if we showed up and said, it reminds me of the story where Jesus feeds the 5,000, right? When the disciples are like, I don't know how we're going to do it. And there's this kid with a basket, a few fish and some loaves. And by offering what little he has, everybody gets enough. What if, what if that is the mission and the work of what it means to be a part of a church, to be a Christian, whatever language you want to use? Maybe you don't feel like you're any of those things. You're, maybe you're church adjacent or whatever, like you're Christian adjacent. I think the better term is good human because the goal is not ultimately to be good Christian, but the goal is to be good human. And for me, the Christ path is helping me get there. For other people, it's other paths. That's okay too. What might it mean for us to to reframe prayer in this way? That prayer is not an invitation for God to act. It is God's invitation for us to act. It is God's invitation to join in the work of mercy and compassion and healing and transformation that is already happening in the world. I think we're a community that cares about that. And I think we're a community that as we lean into our future together, as we think about the coming years and where we'll invest our resources and where we'll invest our energy, I think transforming the world around us is what we want to be doing. But that also means you and I showing up and playing our role and having the awareness in us that leads to compassion that calls us into the world in practical, transformative, and beautiful ways. Are you with me? That's the work of the church, I think. And so that's why I think we need need to keep prayer, albeit in a different way. We, We need the kind of prayer that opens our eyes to what we can do in the world, because that's where you'll find God, among the hurting, among the hungry, among the lonely. And that's where God is waiting for us to show up.